You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Congregation, let us turn now in the Word of God to Genesis 49. We come to the end of Jacob's life. And as you know, Jacob had 12 children, 12 sons, I should say. And there was one son in particular, which were hated by his brothers. This son was Joseph. As you may know, the narrative of Joseph, his brothers sold him into slavery. He went to Egypt and he rose to power in Egypt. And a famine came on the land and the brothers came to buy grain in Egypt. And they bowed down before Joseph, thereby fulfilling the dreams of Joseph. And then Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And now their father, Jacob, is about ready to die. His brothers are looking for assurance. And then Joseph himself, at the end of his life, at the end of Genesis. So we read Genesis 49. We'll start at verse 29. And we'll read to the end of the book. Then he that is Jacob, also called Israel, then he gave these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron, the Hittite, along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into his bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father, Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Variation, I turn your attention once again back to Genesis chapter 50. The text of our sermon this morning will be verses 22 to 26, dealing with the death of Joseph. So here, once again, God's holy and inspired word. Joseph stayed in Egypt, along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, two days ago in Abbotsford, we had a funeral for our sister there. As I look at your liturgy sheet, you had two funerals this week. This week in Abbotsford, as I visited this elderly saint, she was 92 years old, every couple of weeks for the last couple of years, we would talk about the Bible, about the sermon she was unable to hear, she was shut in, talk about God. Every time I'd visit her, she would say, Pastor, I just want to go home. I just want to be with the Lord. Now she is home. She has died. But Jesus Christ has said, though we die, yet, yet we will live. Similar for the situation here. Gathered around with family. To the world, to those without hope, death is the greatest enemy imaginable. People will do whatever they possibly can to add one year or one month or even one day to their lives, but they can't. We can't add one moment to our lives. For it's the Lord our God who gives and it's the Lord our God who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As we gathered around a graveside this week with a grieving family, I reminded them of the hope we have. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And that indeed, though we die, yet we will live. 
This is what our union with Jesus Christ through faith assures us. The children of God cling to those promises with a sure hope, especially in the midst of trial and in the midst of loss. They confess our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth because we can't help ourselves. We need another. We depend completely and solely upon God. Anytime there is a funeral or a memorial service, people of God need to be pointed ahead to the resurrection of the dead. That's our hope. And the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is foreshadowed by the hope of the exodus we see in our text this afternoon. Joseph acknowledged that the land, Egypt, the land that made him powerful, the land that made him wealthy, he was second in power in the land of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh. Nobody was above Joseph. He could do what he liked. That land that made him prosperous. It was not his land. His land lay a few hundred miles away in Canaan. So this afternoon as we conclude the life of Joseph, as we end the book of beginnings, our focus is not now, and it has never been, throughout the Word of God, simply on Joseph, or on Abraham, or on Isaac, or on Jacob, but upon God, upon the Lord our God. It's upon the one who guided Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It's the one whose hand upheld them all along the way. The God who made a promise to Abraham as he stood in Shechem, the promise of the covenant, and also to us and to our children. It's the promise of land. It's the promise of rest. Is that true for us today? You better believe it. God has promised us land and rest today. It's a promise of exodus and resurrection, of an eternal and a living hope in the midst of death, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of sin, in the midst of the devil. It's the hope of Job who says, I know that my Redeemer lives. As Joseph breathed his last in our text, he does so with his eyes on the horizon, looking and speaking ahead, even as the prophet of the Lord. Our theme this afternoon is our God assures us of his faithfulness through his prophet Joseph. Our God assures us of his faithfulness through his prophet Joseph. We'll see this faithfulness first through the building of a nation. Second, the prophecy of Exodus. And then third, the fulfillment of the land. So first, the building of a nation. You'll remember, and we saw this as we read from the Word of God, that Jacob, or Israel, the father of Joseph, has already died. His body was brought by Joseph and his brothers in a large caravan of mourners to Canaan. It was buried there in a plot of land in the cave of Machpelah, which Abraham had bought from Ephron the Hittite. After this, Joseph assured his brothers of his forgiveness of them. Joseph comforted his brothers. Joseph told his brothers that he would care for them. Verse 21. So then don't be afraid. 
I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. It was with that assurance that the descendants of Jacob could dwell in the land of Goshen in Egypt. This is where they are in the land of Goshen, northeast Egypt, a part set, set on its own, not influenced by Cairo, not influenced by Alexandria, not influenced by any of the place, any of the great cities of Egypt, but the land of Goshen. It's important, brothers and sisters, to see what's going on here in our text. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years. Neither Jacob nor Joseph have said to the family that it's time to leave Egypt. We need to get out of this place. Nope, they don't say that at all. Rather, God was going to use the land of Goshen, separate it from the rest of Egypt. God was going to use this land as an incubator, as an incubator to produce a nation, to build a nation, not just any nation, but his nation, the people of God. Not because they were great, not because they were the most intelligent or the most attractive, but because God sovereignly called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees, made a promise to him, to you, to your children, and to your children's children, the promise of the covenant remains. In Exodus 1, verses 6 to 7, one chapter later, we read that, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. They grew in that land. In Goshen, God would grow them not merely numerically, but also in their reliance upon God. Because the days are coming. The days are coming when a Pharaoh will sit upon the throne, a Pharaoh who does not remember Joseph. Once again, Exodus 1, verse 8 says, Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. The people of God would be oppressed in Egypt. But it's even through that oppression that God reveals his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his liberating redemption, because he is going to bring them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In the midst of sin, in the midst of wickedness, the Lord will be magnified. The sovereignty of the Lord our God will be echoed through the halls of the court of Pharaoh. God's doing this. These things aren't taking place by chance. They just don't happen to happen this way. The Lord our God is carrying this through. Just as the Lord our God led the whole entire life of Joseph. Do you remember what his brothers were afraid of? After they buried their father? But what if Joseph, what if he was just nice to us because father was alive, but now that dad's dead, he's going to turn on us. He might even kill us. Do you remember what Joseph said? Verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
You mean God actually meant that to happen? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. It was the hand of the Lord every step of the way. Now, verse 22 ends by saying that Joseph lived 110 years. It's a long life. It means he lived 93 years in Egypt after living 17 years in Canaan. 110 years was the ideal length of life in the eyes of the Egyptians. And with this comes the fact that he could see his children, even to his great-grandchildren. Look at verse 23. And he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Well, what does that mean? They're placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Well, this means he adopted them. He adopted them. In Genesis 30, verse 3, Bilhah's children were born on Rachel's knees and thus became her children. The commentator Hamilton says, Jacob took the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and adopted them as sons when he took them between his knees. Chapter 48, verse 12. Naomi took the newly born son of Ruth on her lap, and those present said, a son has been born for Naomi. Ruth 4, 16 and 17. It's also worth noting here in passing, in verse 23, the mention of the children of Machir. Machir is a word which means one who is sold. One who is sold. Well, if you know the narrative of Joseph, what an interesting name. The Hebrew word Makar, same root, is the word used to describe what happened to Joseph when he was sold to the Ishmaelite traders. He is the one who was sold. In this sense, Joseph is Machir, Joseph, is sold. And so we can see the covenant in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, carried through by the hand of the Lord our God. In a foreign land, the Lord is building for himself a special people, a nation who will carry on the covenant of grace. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. That's exactly what's taking place here in Genesis chapter 50. God is going to be fulfilling his promise in the land of Egypt. Which brings us secondly to the promise or the prophecy of Exodus. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of the land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. The death of Jacob, or Israel, sounds very similar to the death of Joseph. Doesn't it? Both died at a good old age. Both made those they love swear an oath that they would do something with their bodies after they die. However, the big difference is clear between Joseph and Jacob. Jacob asked his sons to take his body and bury it in the cave in Machpelah right then, right after he dies. He wants to rest in the land of promise. Joseph told his family to leave him in Egypt until they were ready to leave the land, until the Lord their God would bring them out of there. 
Joseph's last request in our text is a prophetic request. It's a prophetic request. He's just saying, if God happens to visit you, if God happens to come and bring you out, then bring me to the land of promise. No, not at all. Rather, when God brings you out. Joseph told the people that God would surely visit them. He will surely come to your aid, our text says. God would visit them by his grace and he would lead them out of the land of Egypt and into the land of promise. In the meantime, Joseph wanted to remain with the church. His body would follow the church where they would go. In a similar sense to if you visit some of these old cathedrals in Europe. And sometimes you can go down to the crypt of the church, the basement of the church. You see all these tombs. Some are in the ground, some are in the walls. These people are buried in the church. So too, in a sense, was Joseph. He remained with the church. He would also be part of God's liberation. He would also be part of the exodus from Egypt. At least his body would. Joseph's prophetic statement that the Lord would visit the people, he would bring them out of Egypt as a proclamation of the surety of the promises of God. He was so sure, more sure than anything else, in fact. If you have your Bibles open, turn over to Hebrews 11. This is important because it helps us understand the promises of God, the nature of the promises of God. And as you know, Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, is essentially about the promises of God. It's not so much about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's so much about the promise of God. And that's what they kept their eye on. Hebrews 11, look at verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Skip down to verse 13. All these people. Right? Enoch, Noah, Abraham, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. That is a wonderful thing to say at somebody's graveside. They were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has, pre- for he has prepared a city for them. Our God, congregation, has been faithful to every single word he has ever spoken. It has been the word of God that has carried the church throughout history. This world is full of lies and vanity, and the father of lies is out on the prowl. But there is an unshakable assurance of the verity of the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. We don't know Many things in this life, you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. You can say, I'll meet you on Wednesday for coffee. You don't know that. 
you'll plan that out. And if things go as you'd like them to go, then sure, I'll meet you for coffee. We don't know that. There is a surety, a truthfulness of the word of God, which is not true for anything among humans. Joseph says, when God comes, when God visits you, when he aids you, not if, but when. He could have ended that sentence with, thus saith the Lord. They believed in Hebrews 11, and it was credited to them as righteousness. Joseph knew that God would bring the people out of Egypt. He knew because God told Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. God told Abraham what would take place. Back in Genesis 15, verse 13 and 14, God said, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, Egypt, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. This is 400 years after Joseph here. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Then in verse 18 of that same chapter, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. Brothers and sisters, God tells us the promise. He tells us the end. He tells us the completion. But what He does not tell us exactly is the path or the plan that will have to be walked to get there. This doesn't mean that there's many paths to God. It's talking about the plan God has for our lives. God tells us to trust Him. To put our faith in Him. This is true for the land. This is true for the Exodus. This is true ultimately for the Messiah. Throughout the pages of Scripture, the promise of the coming Messiah are becoming clearer and clearer until then all of a sudden on the pages of Scripture, on the pages of history, there's a voice. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, making way, the road for the Lord. The one whom is not worthy to stoop down and untie the sandals. Of this man, man of God. The Israelites had a long journey and a long time to wait for the Messiah. Jesus Christ accomplished the will of his father in redeeming the elect by his blood and righteousness. So salvation, eternal life. This is already now possessed by the church. But how often. Isn't this true with the promises and grace of God? Is it not? We're freed from sin. The shackles of sin are broken free. But it still lingers. We can feast with the Lord at the Lord's Supper, at the table of the Lord. But a greater feast is yet to come. We can have covenantal communion and fellowship. We can walk with the Lord our God. But an unbreakable And a sinless fellowship yet awaits us. You see, the glorious promises of God keep the church looking ahead to a greater fulfillment. Even this day, the Lord's Day. Right? How does the catechism treat the Lord's Day? It's a day of rest. Not just from work. It's a day of rest from sin. Put away, put to rest all your sinful doings. It's an emblem. It's a picture of an eternal rest that yet waits for us. That's our promise of rest. It's not rest in the land of Canaan. It's rest in the new Jerusalem by the Sea of Crystal. 
where the saints in glory stand. You see, the great and the glorious promises of God keep the church looking ahead. And yet God sustains us now. Right? We don't, we don't flee this world and just look up and forget to live. No, now. God gives us grace now. God sustains us now. God assures us now. God calls us now to live in light of his grace. Joseph said, take my bones to the land of promise when God visits you. Take my bones there. And just as all believers of God, just as all the heroes of faith of Hebrews 11, all believers look ahead. How does it all end? If your Bible's open, turn back over to Hebrews 12. Right? Hebrews 11 ends, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. Amazing. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Now, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wonderful. Glorious, wonderful promises of God. The presence of Joseph's bones would be a continual reminder of the promise of God. Right? Get that box. Get that coffin back out here. Boys and girls, you know what this coffin means? Why is Joseph still here? Why have we buried him in the desert in Egypt? Oh no, he's going somewhere. He's going somewhere. The Israelites are going to be walking through the wilderness with two wooden boxes. One, a coffin containing Joseph's bones, exalting God's promise. And the Ark of the Covenant, exalting God's continual presence. Those two things cannot be separated for the child of God. They're brought near the promise of God and the presence of God. In Exodus 13, verse 19, indeed, Moses did bring Joseph's bones out of Egypt. The Israelites did carry them. Chapter 13, verse 19, we read, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Joseph's desire for his bones to remain in Egypt until God would visit the people and bring them out was a continual prophecy. Joseph was a prophet. You don't normally think of Joseph as a prophet. His dying wish, his dying wish was his greatest prophecy. And it's a great prophecy of the great liberation of God. Brings us finally to the fulfillment of the land. Verses 25 and 26. Look at verse 25, 26. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The commentator Sidney Grudanis says, Genesis ends with a haunting picture 
The story of Genesis that began with God creating a beautiful paradise on earth for his creatures ends with Joseph in a coffin in Egypt, waiting, waiting for God to bring his people back to the promised land. End of quote. The Egyptians placed Joseph in a coffin as they did with all high-ranking officials. In Joshua 24, verse 32, Joseph is buried in Shechem, the same place that Abraham stood when God made him that promise. This will be your land. Your descendants will be as the stars of the sky. So Joseph is buried in a part of the promised land owned by his ancestors. However, as Gradana says, in the grave, he is still waiting for God to fulfill completely his promise of land. For ultimately, according to the Bible, God's promise of land means a return to paradise on earth. Genesis 2 and Revelation 22:15. Paradise on earth. Have you found that? Have you found the paradise on earth? We're not talking here about some secluded beach in Hawaii where it's like, ah, paradise. Mm-mm. Problem with that paradise is you're there. And your sinful heart is there. See, the work of Jesus Christ is a restoration, a recreation, a renewal, which brings on earth, which begins on earth rather, but is yet awaiting its fulfillment for us. Some members of the church have a better taste of this than we do. They're the members who are asleep in Jesus. In Abbotsford, we buried one this week. Here you buried two. They're tasting it. They're feasting. Paradise. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross who hung next to him? The thief said to our Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus responded, Today you will be with me in paradise. The work of our Savior restores to us paradise and glory. Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that he's going to prepare a place for them. Right? His father's house, many mansions. He's going to prepare a place for them. At the Last Supper, Jesus said in Matthew 26, I will never again drink of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. For us today, we join the church of all ages in waiting and waiting for God's complete restoration of all things. It's easy to give up hope. I mean, have you read the news lately? If you watch the news on television, the world around us is so set on violence and war and wickedness. It's not just out there. It's even among us. It's easy to lose hope in the coming of the kingdom of God. This was true also for the early Christians whom Peter was writing to in 2 Peter. They said to Peter, how long? Peter reminded them that to the Lord, A thousand years is as a day. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need not fear. For the Lord our God is faithful. We're called to stand fast as those who are more than conquerors. We can live and die with our eye upon the promises. That God will restore the glorious land of promise. Not in Palestine, but the greater paradise. 
a new heavens and a new earth. Indeed, God will make all things new. And even as we saw at the beginning of this sermon, the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is foreshadowed by the exodus we see in our text. Joseph acknowledges that the land that made him powerful, wealthy, and prosperous was not his land. Rather, his land lay a few hundred miles away. This morning, or rather this afternoon, as we end the book of Genesis, as we see Joseph dead in a coffin in Egypt, we recognize once again that it is not simply just about Joseph, and it never was merely about Joseph. It's upon the hand of the Lord who guided the lives of the patriarchs every step of the way. They were never alone. The Lord our God never left them. It's the promise of land and rest, of exodus and resurrection, of an eternal and of a living hope in the midst of death and darkness and sin and the devil. It is the hope of Job who said, and may we say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.